Hey, it's Karen Hunter from the Karen Hunter Show on Sirius XM Urban View. Here's a highlight from today's show. Let me welcome to the show, of course, Tanya's here. And joining us is the CEO of Alira Holistic Healthcare and the medical marijuana cultivator and processor for the entire state of Louisiana. That's Gary Chambersland. We're going to talk to her about that. We got to get him elected. Let me welcome. Uh, you can follow her at Dr. Shonda Zulu because she is a queen in the Zulu nation, but also her name is Dr. Shonda Macias. 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 Welcome. Daddy Karen, okay. how are you doing? Hi, good to see you. Good to see you. Good to see you. Um, we've been rocking now. It's been about six years since you. Uh, you oh, know, in this for a minute, for a minute, we've been doing this, and you know, you've been with me from the beginning. From one dispensary, I'm in four states now. Woo! Now, <laughs> and 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 for people who don't understand this, um, the. The um, the percentage of black people who own who have dispensaries in this country is what two percent, one percent, four percent, four percent in the nation. That's nothing. I just want y'all to sit with that because disproportionately black people have been incarcerated and demonized and vilified because of this plant that grows out of the ground. That's a weed. You do what you want with it. I don't, you know, I don't, but I rock hard because this is the, the separating dividing line. And now when the mil- billions of dollars come rolling in the billions of dollars that this industry is now making we're 4%. But you're doing the work to make sure that that changes. So let's talk Louisiana for a minute. Um, how did you become the the medical uh, cultivator and processor for the state of Louisiana? You know, one thing, Karen, I could say that my you know relationship with the community has always been real and has always been strong. So even before I jumped into cannabis, I've been working with Southern University on grants, getting students in their programs, helping them um, get out and get into successful careers. So when I pivot in marijuana and they pivot in marijuana, it was just, you know, a match made in heaven. They asked me to come down and I was more than happy to. And it's a great partnership through us because we're educating thousands of black men and women that will be future generations of cannabis leaders. Mm. Now, what is a dispensary and what does it do and how does it make money? So a dispensary is just a retail operation. And I say just a retail, but that's where we actually dispense the cannabis. So um, in the cannabis world, there's three parts to it. Cultivation, where you grow it. Processing, where you make different things from the plant. And then retail, where you sell it. So really um, having all three parts in different states is really important for distribution. And how does one get a dispensary? You have to apply for it. So what happens is that at specific times, the state will open it up and they'll say, we're going to do an open call RFP, RFA for um, a cultivation or processing or dispensing license. And then you have to come in and apply. And usually just to write an application, Karen, it's like 50000 just to write that, I get someone wait, to wait, wait, write. Pa- what pause? What, what pause? Pause. It. Who you? Who are you paying fifty thousand dollars to? An application writer. So why do you need an application writer? Can't you just follow the instructions on the application without paying fifty thousand dollars? 
Oh, no. The questions they ask are too, like, you, you have to really know in depth what they're looking for and the Rubik's. And only those that have been doing it for maybe years know what they're actually looking for. Are you That's an applicant? So, so Dr. Shonda, just, just a just, just a, a side question asking for a friend. Are you one of the people that help people with these applications? I don't, but I know who to ask. Okay. I know who those people you want to work with because I know who's winning. Okay. All right. So and I'm New York in New York is ready. New, New York, York is ready. Okay. I'm in New Jersey, which tomorrow becomes the 19th state to legalize marijuana. Uh, my producer alerted me that there aren't that many dispensaries here. Do you know how many dispensaries are, can you, is there a certain number that's limited to each state? Well, if you open marketing is rolling, but your community can opt out of having medical cannabis operations. So a lot of places don't want it and they blocked it from coming into your communities. So even those that have opened it up, then it's hard to find real estate because everyone's trying to find the same real estate in those open communities. So it's just been a challenge all the way around. And then the landlords are coming in, Karen, saying, oh, you want this real estate? Well, we're going to charge you two or three times more than it's worth because we know that you need it. And that's the only way you're going to operate. So if I happen to live in one of these places that they're not paying attention to because it's the hood, which I do, by the way, um, and I find a plot of land, which is hard, or an old house, and I knock it down in an area that's mixed. I'm, I'm literally asking uh, mixed, you know, commercial and, you know, residential. There's a whole strip here or there, and I get a plot of land. How much space do you need to have a dispensary, number one? And then what does it cost to actually after you do the $50,000 application, <laughs> what does it cost to build a dispensary? What do you need for that? So the first thing for the land, you need to make sure it's zoned properly. And then you have to make sure you have enough space between 2,500 and 3,500 square feet is optimal. You can do a little less, but it gets a little tight because you have to have bolts in there. You have to have all kinds of security in there. So um, that's the next thing I would do. Now, I was able to build out with an existing building, my first dispensary for 150000 but it could go anywhere between 150 and half a million. It just depends how much you want to put into it. Now, Karen, New Jersey, in terms of applications, those are just check the box. Anyone can qualify for those. So you don't need the 50,000 for New Jersey. You I just have to check the box. Now, where? so do we Google search? Cannabis dispensary application. What do we type? You in? hit me up. That's oh, the I first hit you up. You okay, Shonda, doctor. Okay, get you what you need, and um, we work with real estate agents that know where all the existing properties are. They've already yes. scouted it out. This is what they do every day. Now, I'm not saying that I would get into that business just me personally, because if I don't use something, I tend to not. Uh, want to even if it's a great business and I think it's a great business but there's someone listening right now for whom this is 
the perfect business. This is their thing. They love, they, they drink weed tea every night before they go to sleep. They swear by the CBD. They love the, the edibles. They are in all the way. They do hookah with it, whatever, right? For them, and, and they're in business, and they live in Jersey, and they can fill out an application because they can read and check boxes. Okay, now they may even have some land. They may even have some land, Dr. Shonda, and they live in an area that is not going to restrict it. What is the upside to having a dispensary once you shell out the one fifty to five hundred thousand build out? How much can you make in a dispensary a year? You can make um oh my goodness. I've seen everything from um from you know starting from zero to literally twenty million. I've in seen a year. In a year. What is the money? What so what so are you hmm. 20 million? That's a, that's a good return. Look, Tanya's like, where you live in Jersey? Let's hook up. Okay, Tanya, shh, off my... You have to have the supply, though. Remember, this is a supply game. You got to have the supplier that will supply you with the products that everyone loves to generate that type of, you know, revenue. So I just got to call Al Harrington for that. <laughs> Al's a good one. Al's a good one. Tanya, you're, you're muted. You're muted, Tanya. We can't hear you. I see your mouth moving. So you don't grow it. You just dispense it. I do it all. So are you the supplier? I am a supplier in Louisiana. I supply and process DC. I sell West Virginia. I do all of them. And I'm growing right now in New Jersey. What? Wait a minute. Hold up. Go ahead, Tanya. You can't sell across state lines, right? No, that's why I have to have separate operations for each state. Oh, so I don't need to call Al Harrington. I could call Dr. Shonda Macias. That's it. Shonda I think we need to talk off camera. Karen. Oh, we're talking on camera, Tanya, because we're, we're transparent here. And I think, you know, even if the opportunity is not for me or for you, there are people for whom this is an opportunity because they have the will, the money and the wherewithal to make this happen and do it at a high level. Because I think if we're going to service us, we need to service us in a very specific way. And I, I need to double down on the health properties just because there are health properties. And you I, I was so anti CBD even, but you talked about the cannabinoids one time you were on and how our bodies are naturally, we need the, you know, I was like, okay. And then I did my little research. I was like, she is absolutely correct. It is a natural product that it works with our system and it recognizes it. I was like, okay, all right. I'm all in for the pain relief and all of the re- relaxation and the sleep properties that come with it. Those of you who are insomniacs, you will appreciate that. Okay. Go ahead, Tanya. I know you got other questions. Well, no, I, I'm not going to do you like that today. I, I'm like, you're so. I, I, I wanted to ask sort of like if you've like watched the Israeli documentaries about them discovering 50 years ago how this could help children with cancer. I mean, there's just so many things that it's good for for people's health. And I'm like, so what, what, what did you do? Not, have you never done it ever? ever, no, ever? I've never, I, no, I've never, but I don't believe in smoking. I, I'm not saying I would never do, you know, maybe edibles down the line, but so there's like, for me, anything that alters my sense, like if I, if I, if I guess I was in so much pain, but I'm also someone that pushes through pain. Like I, it's just the way I'm wired. No disrespect to anyone that does it and there's no judgment. So don't judge me for not doing it. But I'm just saying, it's just never been something, even when I was in college, when everybody was doing, it, I was like, you know, why I already am uninhibited. I'm going to say whatever and do whatever. Don't need it. Well, 
good. I'm going to say this. The first time I ever did pot, I was in my 20s. I was with my husband. And I don't know why he convinced me to try it. And all I became very paranoid. And I thought I would I I'm not normal anymore. And I don't remember what normal was. And I'll never be normal again. And so <laughs> I'm too so much of a that control was the source. I was like, yeah, was I, can't, I can't do this. See? <laughs> I don't that like was altered. So things. you right now, the poster person for why I will never do pot. Thank you, Tanya, because I don't want to alter this goodness that I have going on right now. I'm happy with it. But I feel I go ahead, Dr. Shonda. Honestly, a lot of black people are afraid to use cannabis because they don't want to get locked up. Let's just talk about the truth. It's just, yeah. you know, who's been locked up for cannabis use? Us. So, yeah. you know, we're a little hesitant, but those that really need it, use it. And those that are like, want to have their freedom will stay away. I mean, until these laws change. So, I mean, this is a typical conversation I have every day. Okay. And people who are saving from the pain, they they get in their medical license and mm-hmm. get, making sure that they have it. Yeah. And they should get it, particularly folk who are in pain, who have glaucoma, who are, you know, going through cancer. I mean, th- this is important. And we know medically that it helps, period. But I'm also anti, for me, alcohol, cigarettes and every, you know, red meat. Like, if I'm going to do it, let me just be not a hypocrite on any level. And so that's just, and I'm, and I'm also like that a little but you, persnickety you, when my mother had her um radiation and they had to radiate her genitals for her cancer they wouldn't give her medical marijuana in chicago and i was telling off everybody at the hospital you know that she had the right to that because she was like that pain was so bad she was going to forego the radiation and just die rather than go through that pain again but those doctors don't know how to dose medical cannabis. They're not trained in it. There's only nine medical schools in the nation that actually teach you about the endocannabinoid system. So they don't recommend it because they don't know what it does and how it works. They are not educating themselves and the standards of traditional health are not helping them um, educate themselves. So that's why we get all our knowledge, like you said, from the Israeli doctors, everyone outside of the country, because those are the ones that are the leading experts. Um, Dr. Macias, um, Dr. Shonda's here, C-H-A-N-D-A Zulu, Dr. Shonda Zulu on the Twitters is where you can follow her. Um, when did you get into it? What, what, what was your entry point? And because you've been in a while, you and Wanda, you know, these, these are like pioneers for black folk in this space. Uh, when was your entry point and what, what brought you to this? I went to Howard University and I studied cancer for over 10 years there. I studied breast cancer first. I studied um, prostate cancer, metastasis to bone. And in all of my studies, there was always something about cannabis and how it could treat the symptoms of cancer. And when I went to research, it was banned. You couldn't research it in the United States. So that was my first entry point. And the moment it opened up that I could actually do it on a legal level or semi-legal level, I jumped into it because this is what I've been trained to do. So um, that was about 20, um, 2012 is when it's been 10 years now. Um, I just jumped in there, wrote my application. It was every bit of um, 
697 pages um, and one. And yeah, it was serious. And, wow. you know, never looked back. So now what do we know? Just tell us as Wellness Wednesday. Give us the medical, what you know, what you've learned over the 10 years of studying about cannabis versus hemp versus THC versus the CBD. Like, what, what do you know? Tell us. Well, first of all, it's 420. So this is our holiday. We're all excited today. This is patient access day. We can all, you know, celebrate that we're moving forward towards legalization. And what's so good about that is that a lot of people don't know that endocannabinoids or cannabinoids that you get the from the plant is actually produced naturally in our body. We're just deficient of them after evolution over a period of time. Our body doesn't produce the same amount to keep us in balance. So when we're not balanced, you'll start to see those mental illnesses come out, cancer come out, MS, epilepsy. And so all we're doing is reintroducing cannabinoids into our body so we can get that balance again. And so that's the scientific um, cell signaling pathway behind it. And now there's different strains that have different benefits. So if you think about your lemon skunk, well, lemon, as you know, and everyone knows, is a natural diuretic. You know, we take it, it helps us use the bathroom, it keeps us regular, and it also gives us a little lift and focus. You put that behind a little bit of THC and it punches you like that and it intensifies that same effect. Mm. So that's really what we see with our strains. We see strains aligned with a different condition and you get wellness and you get a better quality of life. So it's truly a medicine and looked at, I mean, I've seen and helped over, I'm going to say 10,000 patients. And I mean, they'll never turn back to traditional medicine because it just didn't help them the way it needed to help them. 866-801-8255. Tanya's here. Dr. Macias, uh, Shonda Macias is here as well. Go ahead, Tanya. Dr. Macias, what is hash in the cannabis thing? What is hash? It's so easy. Let me tell you. So interesting. You get me excited with these type of questions because this is what I was born to do. You take a plant, right? And you have the bud. We call the bud the flower. You shake it real hard and these trichomes fall off. That's where the THC and the CBD and the cannabinoids are present. So then you take all these trichomes and you gather them up and you can press them together. And that's the hash. It's a concentrated form of the medicine. So what people do to get different effects, they might use the the hash from this strain and hash of this strain because one might help with mental health or our mental uplift. And then one might deal with like physical pain, like a blue cheese, for example, and you mix them together, you get the uplift. And you get the relaxation. Do you publish a book of the different strains and what they work for or something like that? I have them um, at our at our offices, um, our locations, and we help the patients with that. What I need to do is write a book. And, so, and get hello. Hi. 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 How you doing? Yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. I think we should do that and put it exclusively in Nubia. 
How about that? All right. Let's do that. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> Uh, 866-801-8255. Getting back to the business uh, for a second, and I'm going to go to the callers really quickly. Um, so you get your dispensary. If uh, How do you become a grower like you are? So, again, you apply for it. You have to have someone who understands horticulture on your team. You could be the business person behind it, but you just have to know someone that knows how to grow the plant. And you apply for it. It's all the same. The way they keep us out, Karen, is that when you apply for it, you charge for a $50,000 application fee. That's what they do. So, you know, it's not only I have to pay $50,000 for the application to write it, then I need another $50,000 to just apply. Now, some states like New Jersey was like, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to open it up, keep the fees reasonable so everyone can participate. And, you know, I'm grateful for that. But some states, when you go down south, I I mean, (laughs) they want to keep us out. So in Florida, you had to be a citrus farmer for 35 years in order to qualify. Now, how many citrus farmers that are African-American that you know in Florida that will qualify for that? You already know. That's how that, well, it's, like a, it's like years. a poll tax. Yeah, it's like a poll yeah. tax. Count the jelly beans in order to be able to vote. Um, That's how they do us. But that's why we live in Jersey. All right. 866. I'm living in Florida. How, so I'm looking in mess. Jersey. It's got some fees, too. How much? It's a $400,000 extended ATC certification fee. I'm looking in Jersey vertically integrated with three dispensaries. That's a million dollar fee. What is that for Dr. Macias? These are New Jersey fees. What are they? Yeah, those are for the bigger operations. They have the smaller ones too, but yeah, they're going to get paid on it too. They're opening up a whole gamut. Everything is available. But yeah, they're going to still charge. If you're going to have over 100,000 square feet, you're paying a million dollars just to do it. They're okay. going to get their okay. cut of that money. That's for the Costco version or the Walmart version. Uh, okay. All right. Uh, Ainsley, uh, AARCPA on Twitter wants to know if Big Pharma is afraid that they're going to lose money to the cannabis industry. It's Big Pharma. Oh, they already are. They're blocking. Yeah. Are they blocking? How are they blocking? No, they're jumping in. You know, Pfizer just acquired a cannabis company for $6.7 billion. Who did Pfizer? Yes. Google it right now. And, you know, I also heard that like Philip Morrison, et cetera, they're waiting for it to go legal because they already can distribute. It's just they just put it in this thing. They already are distributing. They just switch the contents and they're ready to go worldwide. Yep, here it is, Forbes. This was last year. We're going to tweet this out. Uh, cannabis ac- acquisition, $6.7 billion with a B, y'all. Billion with a B. Let's go to the phones quickly. Uh, Dr. Macias is here. Shonda, Dr. Shonda. Victoria in Oklahoma, welcome to the Karen Hunter Show. Hi. Hi. Karen, thank you, God. I'm so glad. Oh, hi. I'm a first-time caller. When I heard you say Yay! that you weren't familiar with fentanyl patches, I had to call you. Okay, I'll be quick. 15 years ago, I was on fentanyl patches, 75 milligrams. The highest at that time you can get was 100 milligrams. I have fibromyalgia and a bunch of other chronic pain issues going on with me. But guess what else the doctor had me on besides that? Hydrocodone, SOMO, SOMO, S-O-M-O, and Xanax. That mixture itself 
is something that will put your body into respiratory distress. Just the fentanyl and one of the other things I named, and the doctor would not take me off of it. She refused. She had me on the 75-milligram patch, and I kept saying, you know, I don't feel right with this patch on because every time she put it on me or I put it on, you could just feel, I could feel my body just suck it up, and I felt horrible. And she told me, she said, Victoria, if I can touch your shoulder and you won't recoil, which she knew I couldn't because I have fibromyalgia and I'm in a lot of pain, then I'll take you off of it. She refused to do it. Long story short, I ended up in the emergency room for something else. One of the other doctors said something to her. She took me off of the fentanyl patch, put me on morphine, but I was still on the hydrocodone, the Soma, and the Xanax. I went to go see a pain management doctor. She said, I will not see you while you're on all of these medications because of what I just said, the distress, the respiratory distress. One by one, I got myself off of it, and I also started seeing another um, primary care physician. But I had to call you with that. Amen, amen. Let me ask you, uh, Dr. Macias, uh, how does cannabis, Victoria's talking about something that is chronic in this country, pain and then painkillers, right? This, 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 the doctors in this country are obsessed with giving people painkillers. What does cannabis do that's different? I mean, first of all, is does it have addictive forming properties, but it doesn't kill you. There's no incidence of death. Like Victoria's a lucky to be alive, honestly. Mm. I mean, opioids has wiped out this, I mean, nation, period. So when I just heard what she said, she's lucky to literally be alive. And, you know, we work with patients every day for opioid replacement therapies so they can get off all the opioids that they have been prescribed and to get on a different um, dosing regimen with cannabis. And so that in itself is the safety. You're not going to die using cannabis. There's no instances of cannabis related deaths as in terms of using dosing. Now, well, people use it and then, you know, next thing you know, they're doing crazy things or some people, I don't know. But what I'm saying is that medically, Physiologically, it does not have that same effect as opioids, and it's a much safer use for pain management. We only have two minutes left. Uh, Rob in South Carolina, I want to get as many callers in. I probably can only get to him. Thank you for calling. Welcome, South Carolina. Hi, thank you. Um, So I wanted to start by saying I'm a resident of the state of South Carolina currently, but I was born and raised in the state of New Jersey. Up until last year when I moved down to South Carolina to take care of my parents, um, I lived in New Jersey and was a medical marijuana patient. Um, I have sickle cell anemia. I was born with it. Uh, it has taken out my brother due to the opiates um, that he was prescribed. I chose a different path. I've always used marijuana medically, um, though I wasn't always able to do it legally. I live in a state now that I'm fighting to try and get medical marijuana because for me, it is the best medicine for me. Um, they prescribe opiates, they prescribe morphine, they prescribe every single drug to me in the hospital, but they won't prescribe me medical marijuana that could save my life. Mm. It's insidious. Um, and we probably need to do, you know, at least an hour on this because callers are here. Dr. Shonda, you have to come back. Are you hopeful that it will be federally made legal? Do you think it's going to? Not right now. You know, Karen, we got to think about what legalization looks like. You have too many of us that are 
black and brown that are not getting access to the business. Um, we're not getting any type of clemency or pro or pardons because, you know, we have been medical patients. We've never had access to top of the line healthcare. So we've used cannabis for decades and we mm -hmm. went into prison. So until you clean our records mm -hmm. and give us a stake at the business, we don't want it legalized. Mm. And oh. if we legalize it, then give us some clemency. Definitely. You know, give us something that's fair and equitable to our community. So it's a lot of trade-offs in that. And those are the things that I work on every day. Hey, this is Karen Hunter. You can listen to The Karen Hunter Show live every Monday through Friday at 3 p.m. East on Sirius XM Urban View Channel 126 or anytime on the Sirius XM app.